When we got out of the tunnel, Laura screamed this really blood-curdling scream, and there it was. Little Caesar's Discount Pizza. Lights on the building and trash was everywhere. Laura sat down and started laughing. Allison started laughing. I started laughing and my stomach started grumbling. And in that moment, I swear, we were infinite and hungry for $3 pizza. Welcome to Film is Lit. Did you like that one? My name is Danny. I'm the film expert. My name is Laura and I am the lit expert. Awesome. And this is the podcast where we take a piece of literature and compare and contrast it to its film or TV adaptation. We got a film this time. We've only done one TV adaptation, but there's more on the way. But this is another special episode. Season three is a bunch of special episodes. My man, we're really loading the season up. But today we have another guest that's near and dear to my heart. Very important person to me. Let me introduce to all the listeners, my high school guidance counselor, Allison Kelly. Allison, say hello. Hello, everybody. It is so great to finally have you on. It's been a while, but Mm -hmm. a lot of planning, but we definitely wanted to have you on. I have a question. Are you more of a book person or movie person or both because both is very appropriate for this Mm -hmm. podcast what what would you say you lean towards well i think because i grew i'm much older than both of you um i grew up having far more access after hours to books so Mm -hmm. like when my parents would tell me to go to bed and then i'd be under the covers with a flashlight and reading a book Um, that was me, but I have a huge appreciation for all things creative. And I, I absolutely love movies. I remember far more about movies and music lyrics than I do about high school geometry. (laughs) Very true. Well, a squared plus B squared equals C squared. Mrs. (laughs) Gates would be happy. Um, but yeah, well, The day I met you, which was my sophomore year, we talked about movies the very first day you realized my interests. And immediately I knew, okay, we're on the same page. We we like all the good stuff. So when we're thinking of guests for this season, you were the top of our list and happy that we could reconnect. But today, speaking of high school and the high school experience, we are covering The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah, by Stephen Chbosky. Cool. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> um, bless you. Uh, and God. we. <laughs> I, hate that joke. I will go on record saying I hate that joke. And this is a rare instance where the author of the book also wrote and directed the film adaptation. Mm-hmm. That's a first for this episode. But man, this really uh, hit me hit me in the feels, and I've been thinking about my high school experience for the past mm-hmm. couple weeks. We watched the movie and finished the book. Um, a couple of weeks ago before we recorded this episode. So I've just been dwelling about the very intense but formative time that high school was. And that's kind of a big point of the book, of this point in your lives where everything is heightened and everything matters and your emotions are running rampant and you're still on the right. cusp of puberty. So relationships are intensified. even more <laughs> intensified. And it's just this weird 
funk and you're figuring out your identity and it's just all happening at once and you have extracurriculars and college to think about and to put this much stress on someone of that age seems cruel looking back at it but at the same time I mean this might sound sad a little bit but I sometimes feel envious of my high school self of be like that was just like what a wild time even more wild than college I think but I'm so pumped to talk about this episode. Yeah, and, and it's very appropriate, Allison, that we have you on because of your experience with you know you, young adults at this age. And you work with middle schoolers now, is that right? Right. I worked with high school age students for 17 years, and this is year five of middle school. Wow. Yeah, that's a very interesting age. And that age is very close to my heart as well, because I was lucky enough to work at a summer camp for five years. And the age group kind of spanned between middle school and high school. But middle schoolers were sort of a different beast, I think, than high schoolers, because they're in between that age of they're kind of still children, but they are yearning to be young adults. And there's just so much going on, you know, developmentally. It's really interesting to sort of watch. I don't want to call them kids, but just students at that age, I think. For sure. And I think if if you look at adolescents or middle school students, like when I'm, I'm a child of the 80s versus you both graduated in 2012, like the differences that that they have. And I think the weight of the book and film genres, that age group compared to the 80s and the John Hughes, where he kind of kept, he walked you into it, but not so far that you felt like you were drowning. Yeah. 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 I'm really interested to jump into this book for that very reason. And I read this, so the book came out in 1999. It was published in 1999. And I read this in actually probably either 2012 or 2013. I read it when I was a freshman in college. And it was really interesting from that perspective to sort of look back at that age because I was still really close to it. But I also had a slight more perspective since I had moved away from home. And now revisiting it is really interesting because I have even more perspective about what it's like to go through that age and to really appreciate it and to see not only the wonders of that time, but also the intensity and the darkness of that time. But I think, like you were saying, not a lot of adults remember that kids have such intense feelings at that age. And they really understand more than I think they let on and more than adults think that they can process. So yeah, I think this is a really important book sort of as an overview. I think it's a really important book to go back to because it kind of reminds you that mindset of a high schooler and, and, and younger because Charlie kind of goes back into his childhood a little bit more and you obviously that he's, see that he's a very intense life and he's lived a lot of unfortunate things that young kids they do live through in reality. So I think this is an important book to talk about. Absolutely. But yeah, you teased your journey a little bit. Let's start out with your journey, Allison. And again, I should say, it's so weird to call you Allison. I'm so used to calling you Mrs. Kelly. And that's, I just, I don't know. That's always something about me. I felt like just like Mrs. Kelly. And that's what I knew you in high school. And That was such an important time. So I will respect your wishes, call you Allison, even though it makes me want to cringe out of my skin. (laughs) All right. So Allison. Share your journey. Share your journey with us. I don't know that I like, 
I don't know that I would have known about the book or the movie if I hadn't been a high school guidance counselor. So a student, again, like Danny said, I a common ground I talk to kids about a lot, often are movies or, you know, things like that. And um, I remember that a student came to me and I have a, I had a big breakfast club poster on my wall and the Goonies and vacation. And she said, you know, my dad said, you got to watch the perks of being a wallflower. Cause my dad said, that's our breakfast club of our generation. So it had to be sometime after the movie came out in 2012 and then like between 2015, cause I, I left. So I watched the movie and I just, I remember feeling completely gutted by it. Um, I don't know how else to describe it because as beautiful as the character development and relationships are, it is such a, a feral view of adolescence. Like Danny, you were kind of saying, having all these feelings, but without the knowing. I often say that adolescents see life through a microscope and adults see it through a telescope. So when people say, you think the whole world revolves around you, they don't even see the whole world. They, they yeah. see this, they see such a small amount. So when I saw that and knowing the breakfast club, I think, which came out in the start of my high school, 1984, it did not line up at all. It was not what I was expecting, but I think it was a far more real look at what adolescents deal with and, and those huge feelings without perspective. And then I honestly, I'm so honored. Um, I don't know what the right time is to talk about how wonderful I think Danny is and, and Laura, but I guess I'll wait on that. I guess the whole podcast is a good time. Continue. Pepper it in is probably what I should do. Right? Here and there. I need it. I need it. Um, so when I met Danny, which typically I didn't have the G's in my caseload, um, I, I had S's through Z's. I knew he had two older brothers and I knew the family were amazing. I mom's a teacher in the district and um, very athletic family. But it was pretty cool because I, I would have loved to have met his brothers. Um, but it was a pretty cool thing that I got to meet Danny on his own without any perspective in, in such a sense. And I don't know how to describe it. I'm guessing, Lori, you may have felt, <laughs> but like <laughs> as an educator, sometimes you just, you meet a student and you see they're great, like right away. Like as soon, like it leads them into a room and yet, you know, they haven't recognized it or discovered it yet. And that's like, I think the heartache of counseling sometimes is that I know where they're at right now sucks. And it, it, it's hard, even if the family's wonderful, which they are, and even if life is pretty good, the constant second guessing of yourself in adolescence is really hard. So I just always wish, like when I see these remarkable students and you're not supposed to have a favorite, um, but, <laughs> I'll leave that in there, <laughs> um, but um just that you just wish they could see themselves through your eyes as someone who has more life experience and perspective so they know how amazing they are. So, and then you just hope, cause you don't get bonus checks or things like that. You just hope that sometimes you hear later on when they figured out they're great or when they surrounded <laughs> themselves with other people who realize their greatness. So 
to be able to do this and see that and that he found someone not gonna not gonna get emotional um that he that he found (laughs) that he found someone who a hundred percent just gets it that's the greatest gift you can have as as an educator and a human being and uh Mm that was way more than you needed for a journey uh but alas there you go no that was wonderful um i'm gonna go next because i feel very much the same way about adolescence as you do oh i thought you were gonna say you feel the same way about me i'm like please continue (laughs) no i'm gonna talk about my you're not gonna talk about me i feel a little bit cheated if you're she gave that big speech and you're not gonna say anything do you want to call your mom and have her also record something about you? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Get Cindy on the phone. Yeah. Uh, no, I actually wanted to address what you're talking about when you meet an adolescent of this age group and you can just see that they don't see their greatness. And like you said, you know, they don't necessarily have to be from a disadvantaged home, although that happens sometimes as well. But you're right. Like you just know that where they are in their mental development is so intense and they just don't, they're not quite at the point where they can see the perspective. And I really love what you said about surrounding themselves with people that also see how great they are. Because I remember having this conversation with a person that I just adored and he was younger than me, but he also worked for the summer camp that I worked for. And I had this conversation with him when we were on our way. It was like a six hour car drive and, you know, things got deep (laughs) very quickly. And I remember him talking about this deep seated self-loathing that he had and how painful it was for me to hear him talk about himself like that because A, I have been there. And so I definitely understood where he was. But also, I think one of the, my reaction to those things was, Joseph, if you respect all the people that surround you, like that shows how much we respect you and how much we want to be around you. And like, that should be a reflection of who you are. You know, you shouldn't feel like you don't belong around the people that you work with because we just, we enjoy being around you and we want to know what you think. And It was just so painful for me to hear him be in that space because I just wanted him to know what a beautiful person he was. And I think throughout this book, you know, I haven't really talked about my journey, but I think throughout this book, Charlie comes into that when he finally meets Sam and Patrick. And I think that's just, that's what really draws to me to this story because I was also very much that high school student where I I didn't know my worth and I was very down on myself and I didn't feel like I had a community. I didn't really feel like I fit in until I started hanging out with now my best friend, whose name is Allison as well. And great name. Yeah, it's a <laughs> great name. And we actually started going to showings of the Rocky Horror Picture Show And it was something that I think one of her friends had found out about. And there's this little theater, like we grew up in LA and there's a small theater basically under the 405 that shows Rocky Horror Picture Show every single Saturday night at midnight. And we just started showing up and we start, like we sort of slowly built our costumes by going to thrift stores and 
again, like this just feels so, it feels so reflective of my life in the movie because in those dark movie theaters, I felt like I could come out of my shell. Even though it was kind of lame at school that we would talk about Rocky Horror and we would go to thrift stores and look for our costume pieces. When you got to the line, it was like everybody was dressed up and everybody had their props and everybody knew the call outs at the certain times of the movie. And the, also, I think what draws me so much to Tim Curry, we talked a little bit about this off mic, but just the way that he embodies his own personality kind of blew my mind. I was like, I didn't know that you could be that confident in who you are. So I, I also just love that in the book and the movie, Charlie gets called to be Rocky. And that's sort of like such a catharsis, you know, and, and I know he doesn't sort of come into himself until a little bit after that, but that just to me, it embodies that, you know, how self-conscious he is and then how he's able to just get up on stage and like be in gold underwear. <laughs> and that's it. Oh, I just, I love that. And I also love that his teacher, Bill, is also so invested in his development. And he so clearly is an educator that also sees something so special in Charlie and goes out of his way to give him pieces of literature and movies that I think that Charlie ends up really growing into and seeing himself in those things. So I guess my, you know, to back up, like my quick journey is that I read this book in as a freshman in college and loved it because I felt it exactly reflected my high school experience. And then I was very happy with the movie when it came out and I saw it. And yeah, that's... <laughs> I think that's where I'll leave it because I've already talked about how it really spoke to me as an older adult looking back at my high school years and how I became a little more confident. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I had a similar experience with it because I didn't read the book or watch the movie until this podcast. So I also didn't have this in high school when we were seniors. It's funny. I felt like we could have saw a lot of ourselves in Sam or Patrick during that time, but we didn't have this till much later. And I remember the trailers for it coming out and it, it looked good, but coming of age stories weren't necessarily my jam during that period in my life. I kind of thought I was too good for them. And then, of course, the irony being when you're an adult, you look back at these movies and you're like, wow, I should have watched that could have really helped me during the, the tough times of adolescence. And why did I have this attitude about them beforehand? It's like they're more suited for adults than of actual teenagers. Oh, there's a light bulb going off. But yeah, for some reason, I just didn't get around to it. And I knew of its acclaim. I knew it was a popular movie among all age groups. Um, I met Logan Lerman at Line for a Bar in who LA. Who played Charlie. Yeah. Uh, Davey Waynes was the bar for all my oh, LA fine. natives. Yeah, That's I met cool. him there and seemed, seemed like a cool dude. So That's awesome. That's a fun story. Yeah, I had that little connection there. Obviously had a huge crush on Emma Watson. That was kind of required for everyone in my grade. And, oh, yeah. But just didn't get around to it. I'm, I'm sad I didn't because I read the book, listened to the book. It was narrated by one of the guys in the movie Booksmart. Have you seen that, Allison? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy who narrates it is the kid. He does the karaoke of um, You Oughta Know. It's at his, his house. That, that kid and his parents are in the other room. And he's just like, Mom, you sit at the house till 10. Uh, it's that kid. He's great in Booksmart, but he plays a really 
convincing Charlie. I don't know how to really judge that performance, but it was great. And we watched the movie. It coincidentally just dropped on Netflix the week we <laughs> were recording, so, which is a crazy coincidence that that happened. So able to watch it for free and also loved it. I really loved the subtlety of it. And I really loved more so in the book because there's more time devoted to it, but his relationship with Bill the teacher, because this is, again, something I didn't realize until college and beyond. But you don't realize the people who expand your perspective until afterwards. Sometimes it's sometimes it's still too late to thank them. And you had mentioned early on, Allison, that a lot of times high school kids have this they look through the world in a microscope. And that was very much the case for me, too. I really liked my high school experience, but I did struggle in a sense with this identity problem. And a lot of kids obviously were going through the same thing, but I knew I wanted to work in the movie industry one day, or I wanted to do comedy or or both. But I had this opinion that I couldn't do it, or it wasn't cool, or the dream was too far-fetched. And a thing that, well, certainly you and other teachers in high school, like Mrs. Gothier, who who we mentioned, I've had two Miss Gothiers, my third grade teacher and one in 10th grade. Uh, Mr. DeChristopher, who was in my public speaking class, really got me comfortable speaking in public and being funny around people. And Mr. Tyler, my chem, AP chem teacher, you know, just to name a few, I was so privileged to have those figures in my life outside of my family who at every step of the way kind of subtly showed me like, hey, you're kind of being an idiot for second guessing yourself. Like, like go, go for it. Like, what are you doing? We, you see, you have these dreams. You see, we know that you want, want to be funny, but you're, you know, holding back in a sense. And I, I don't know. I just realized later on looking back, just how important these people were in my life. And I'm not saying that my brothers being athletic was a burden. I would ne- I would never say that. They were model students and they paved the way for my success in high school because they had they knew what classes to take and they knew how to they told me how to balance your time between sports and school and extracurriculars. I had a full-on blueprint for high school from them. But I would get these intense anxiety pains and borderline panic attacks going to practice, sports practice and games, just because these guys were incredible athletes. And again, I'm not blaming them for it. That's just, that's just how it worked out. And I think what these teachers and Miss Kelly Allison showed me was kind of, to, they, they broke me out of my shell and I, I was all right. I like I'm I'm pretty athletic, but nowhere near their level. But I or mine. Right. Oh Laura. She Just she's kidding. incredible. <laughs> and they always supported me in all the funny videos I made. And Mrs. Whitaker at my high school, she had a great, you know, A V department. So I had a lot of help through there. And just all these mentors and role models I had which really paved the way for me to be so creative in college. And I had a great college experience because of high school. This book was and movie was so personal to me just because I kept on thinking of Charlie's relationship with Bill and how important it was that I had a bunch of those types of relationships. So 
Yeah, I think Bill is a great character because he lets Charlie see an adult be successful as a writer. And Charlie kind of hints a couple times that he doesn't think that that's an option for him because kind of like what you talked about, like maybe it's a little too much of a dream and it's not something you could make a living at. But Bill embodies that, you know, he's had a play on Broadway. He, I think has written a book and he's even contemplating leaving teaching because he wants to go back to writing. So yeah, that's a really great example of a role model who says, no, your dreams aren't too far-fetched. If that's what you want to do and that's what you're passionate about, go get it. And even with applying to colleges, I remember it was this weird thing where despite the deadline for getting these applications in, I still, for some reason, wasn't taking the steps more so because I just couldn't, it didn't feel like high school was in me over. It, it was four years happened so fast. I mean, that's cliche to say, but it really is true. And Allison, you really not necessarily came down on me, but you really showed me like, hey, the deadline's coming in soon. This is your dream school. You better get it done, buddy. And 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 you, you were so on top of it. And I remember submitting my application for review and you did it like overnight, basically. And we got it in and I managed to get into BU, my school of choice. So I thank you for that too. I'm forever grateful for you to motivate me to get those applications well, in. That was that was all you. I think... I think one of the hard things is that you you both kind of touched on is you have a perspective watching this movie because you're older. I don't know that you would have gleaned the same amount if you had watched it at that age. And I mean, I think you forget sometimes in the movie that Charlie's a freshman and his friends are seniors. Like that's a huge amount of growth that he hasn't had the opportunity to do. But like one of my notes I wrote is you can't fast forward the knowing like you, you just as, as heartbreaking as it is, like I said, I want my kids, I wanted Danny to see and amazing family, like solid friends, like all of the good stuff. Um, but still adolescence puts you on shaky ground, but you can't, you can't know it till you're through it. Like that's, that's like the that's the curse of it all. I try yeah. to think like, what if I could have a conversation with a kid so that they would um, feel more confident or skip past that terrible relationship or that mm -hmm. abusive relationship or get through trauma of childhood, but you can't like, and that's, yeah. I think that's the most heartbreaking part. Like, you know, Charlie's just going to have to suffer for a while. Mm -hmm. You know what? Sorry, I don't want no, to interrupt you. No, Reed. I'm good. No, so I think that's so true. And honestly, that's a little bit of the tragedy of the movie and the book coming to close because in the book, there is an afterword, right? And we find out that Charlie's an adult and he writes another letter to the person that he was writing letters to throughout high school. And he says, now I have the perspective. But it's interesting because... Stephen Chbosky in the movie ends it right at the end of sort of graduation and all of Charlie's friends have left. And it was interesting because I was thinking exactly to your point that this might be a glimmer of perspective for Charlie, but in a lot of ways, I remember having those glimmers as an adolescent and you know, maybe there would be like a moment in the day where I would feel confident. Like when I went to Rocky Horror, I would feel confident and happy and excited to be alive. 
And then I would go to school the next day and I was just, I would shut down because that environment wasn't safe for me. It didn't feel safe. And I, like, I knew that there were people who would bully me or who I just didn't feel comfortable around. And so again, going back to the movie, sometimes I feel like the end is a glimmer of perspective for Charlie, but you're so right. He has another four years that he has to sort of struggle through. And he even does that math in his head, you know, when he at the right, right at the end, and they're running up the bleachers and Sam and Patrick have graduated. And so it's this catharsis for them, but he's still going through the math and he's like, I I still have over a thousand days of high school (laughs) to get through. And I'm like, yeah, dude, (laughs) like it's not going to be easy, you know? And, and that's, there's like that heartbreak. And I hope that I was that glimmer for some people when I was staffing that summer camp, like you're saying too, about reconnecting to students that you had in the past. Like maybe I said something to a kid that, you know, they're going to remember or they're going to not make that bad choice again. But all you can do is hope because, you know, maybe you're not that person. But that's why I just have this perspective, especially when you're working with adolescents and young adults, that you just have to keep going and you have to just keep having those positive interactions with them because maybe one thing that you say will provide that glimmer for a second. Right. The thing that I also think was interesting, I think Charlie says it, is when you're 17 and you forget what it's like to be to be 16. Mm, um, yeah. Like every day when I drive into work, I say to myself, and I have an 18 year old son, so I've had to do that for him as well. Like they have 15 years of stuff. They have 13 years of stuff. Like mm. this is all they know. So it's like this funny thing, like they need to gain more perspective. But then sometimes as you get older, you don't go back and sit with what 15 felt like or what, Mm -hmm. how crushing it was. Like that's what, if you're working with an adolescent, you have to be able to access those hard things, you know, in order to relate to them. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think that that's something that because Charlie's so young, he kind of has that perspective also sort of in an inverse way that you don't have because, and I think again, like I said in the beginning, I think that's why this book is really important to revisit at different points in your life because there was a lot of stuff that like Danny said, I was thinking about after I finished this book again, I was like, oh my gosh, there was a lot of like emotional stuff that came about attending high school and feeling just intensely sad and depressed. Like, oh my gosh. And I was just thinking like, I wish that kids didn't have to go through this, but in a lot of ways, like they have to, that's just sort of where your brain is. And I, yeah, it's just like, it's really impressive how Stephen Chbosky, you know, he was an adult when he wrote this, but he accessed something within himself that just went right back to being an, uh, a young adult. Yeah. I was wondering about that decision Stephen Chbosky made in the movie to end it at Sam and Patrick's graduation that time and to not have that epilogue in a sense. But it felt appropriate watching it because the movie is very ethereal in a sense. You feel like you're watching a string of memories. You're not watching, to me, it didn't feel like a narrative. It felt like Charlie as an adult looking back on high school. The whole movie has, it's very beautifully shot, but it has this kind of 
haze, mm-hmm. the lighting, the lights, they expand out kind of in, in a fog in a way. It's it, very dreamlike to me. And that mirrors my experience of looking back in high school and college of you look back and it's a string of great moments, you know, meeting friends, making friends, the crazy nights you have together, maybe drinking too much or <gasps> or other stuff. Yeah, there was one night I had a couple of beers. When you were um, 21. And- <laughs> yeah. But looking through a haze of, of yeah. uh, hormones. Yes. <laughs> hormones. Of how crazy a first kiss is, a first, you know, something more well, I didn't is. I did experience that until I was ever out of high school. But. <laughs> it, it, hey, it, it doesn't matter when, but you have the super embarrassing moments and, and the depressing moments and the moments of trauma that will forever change you. And then also other events that lead to buried trauma, perhaps. And you, you always look back at this and it's just a stri- an explosion of emotion and then joy. And this is all stringing your mind. So I felt like to end the movie there felt appropriate to me because it's like an adult looking back at the experience. And I think viewing it, I got a little emotional, despite the fact that I didn't have a lot of the experiences Charlie or Sam or Patrick had. Mm-hmm. It still is just emotional, just just to think about your younger self. Mm-hmm. I mean, we keep on coming back to how crazy adolescence was, but just to, just to reminisce about all your mistakes and, mm-hmm. and to think about how all the important people in our life too it's really, that. yeah, really stable is, is gut wrenching, but more of a kind of a, a blanket question for Allison. Do you, how did, would you say Steven adapts his own work into a movie? Like how, how well do you think he puts his book to screen or, or do you think the changes he makes it into something else via some of the few changes he has in there? Um, I, I mean, my opinion was I thought it was pretty close. I just, I thought he muted some of the adult relationships with, like, mm-hmm. he doesn't give Charlie's dad, like, that piece with the MASH episode where he cries. Mm-hmm. And that was just, a, for me, that just gave him a little more, like, I'm, I love my older son who's a football guy, but like that he got choked up and um and then the relationship I think one of you said with Bill um because in the book mm-hmm. he goes to the house he meets the girlfriend and Bill really like expresses to him how amazing he feels that that Charlie is. So I thought the way he used Charlie as a narrator based on the fact that the book was based on letters. Um, I thought that was yeah. that was brilliant. I still think it's incredibly heavy. And like you said, Danny, you know, you have all these different moments and, and you relate to these characters in some way. But I think as an adult, you draw from each character, even if it wasn't your experience. So I just feel such a depth of sadness for, you know, Brad is this football guy but mm-hmm. he's gay and he wants to be with Patrick and and how he can't be authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's all those layers of how difficult it is to be yourself and be authentic in high school certainly is determined by where you land at home. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. you know, and what kind of resilience you have. Um so I think like even though it's I'm I've got many years between me and when Perks was was made you feel that you know him standing up against the wall at the dance 
that mm-hmm. that was me oh my gosh like that, that was, was me. so me yeah oh my gosh watching that see this is why I love this movie too sorry not to interrupt no. you but that moment oh my gosh and when he sort of starts to bob his head a little bit when the music comes on that was so me like I I remember this dance because I, again I was not sort of in a group of a lot of friends I had like one or two <laughs> but yeah, I remember going to this dance where like all the popular kids were and they were doing the Soja Boy dance. <laughs> and, like I had no, actually to give some context into my middle school experience, I was actually uh, taken out of elementary school and into middle school. And my mom homeschooled me with a few other moms with some other students that I guess didn't really fit in to our middle school. And so I was reintegrated into public school into, in eighth grade. And so I had sort of no context for friends or popular culture. And so I didn't know popular music. I didn't know popular dances. I didn't know anything. And I just remember just being petrified and standing off to the side and a couple people, like there was this one guy, I actually think his name was Charlie. And he like brushed my arm one time. He like walked by me and I was like, oh my God, I just, I was just, I was so self-conscious. You know, the thought that went through my mind was like, oh my God, I got in his way or like, you know, and, and I'm wearing this terribly ugly shirt and I don't know what to do with my body. And I just, yeah, seeing that on screen was like, oh my gosh, that is me. (laughs) Like I was transported right to those dances. Yeah. Yeah. Dancing, especially both in in middle school and high school, the, the dances that go on, it's nuts how important those are for just socially and for no real reason. I mean, they're fun, but I remember just putting so much pressure on myself, especially in in this movie and book speaks to more of middle school me than high school me because I was in middle school is when I think I hit my lowest point in terms of just completely being... Id. (laughs) Id? Yeah, you know, the subconscious. Oh, yeah. Sure. Ego, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I did know that. Um, I remember vividly my dad picking me up from a seventh grade dance because this girl who I won't name, but let's just say her name was Chair Water Bottle. That's the two things I'm looking at. Chair Water Bottle dumped me because we dated for two weeks, but I never, I could, didn't even have the courage to h- hug her. And of course, I should have known that this relationship in with chair water bottle would not work out. But it just it was the first breakup that I ever had. And I couldn't explain it to my dad because I was so embarrassed. And I stayed away from dances for a while. And after all throughout eighth grade, I didn't go. And then my first dance in high school, (laughs) I just remember being so nervous all because of this fake relationship that I was the person who got broken up with that trauma had had stuck with me. So yeah, I, I dances in film especially about high school always just speak to me I always just think about that Mm. that event and how it's funny in in retrospect but but yeah it's so intense at at the time it's so uh, Alice and I interrupted you that's okay I think we also very much overestimated the importance of dancing in later life you know (laughs) (laughs) like it really (laughs) wasn't gonna be a skill that we needed (laughs) Um, but like, so for my generation that 
up against the wall scene was 16 candles and uh, the parents shoving their son through the gym doors Mm -hmm. and they're holding them back as he's trying to get out. Like, (laughs) I want to go home with you and dad. Um, Like that's, yeah. I mean, I totally relate. The hard thing is when I think when you think about a wallflower is someone who sits back I mean, when I think about it, aside from how they defined it, like someone who sits back and observes. So for me, I'm an introvert, which has gotten a bad rap um, because, you know, it really isn't. I like to be all by myself and I don't connect with people. But to throw myself, I would never have done Charlie in the gold underwear. I wouldn't have done the Rocky Horror thing. But, you know, to to put yourself out there like that when you're, when you're not ready and how they kind of sit, like they sit and look at him. I think it's at the party and Charlie does see like one of the questions I was going to throw out to you. And I think you kind of touched on it is Charlie sees things at like this adult level, but with, with the crushing wave of not having any perspective. So like, I don't even know if a ninth grader can really recognize all the things that he actually does. But I think Patrick says to him, you see things and you understand you're a wallflower. And I don't know that he understands. I think he sees things and he feels them and he thinks nonstop. And then I think the other, the rub of adolescence is like, even now, if I look back at people I went to high school with, I have my idea, the story I tell myself of what they thought about me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's usually doesn't line up the amount yeah, of, yeah. the amount of angst I had over this person's thinking this, or this person's thinking that we just never, we aren't able to have those authentic conversations at that age. Mm-hmm. So you just, you have this constant loop in your head of this other like hitchhiker that's telling you what the world thinks of you. Yeah, I actually made a really similar note because one of my first impressions when I was going back to the book is that it is a coming of age story, but Charlie doesn't come to that understanding because he's so intensely in that mindset. And I think that's partially because he, at least in the movie, he doesn't have a lot of role models that aren't slightly toxic. <laughs> like, like it's really interesting. It was interesting to read again about his father who at one point does hit his mom and he watches Ponytail Derek hit his sister and he's been sexually abused by his aunt. So he actually, I think that he's trying to understand and he's trying to make sense of his intense feelings because like you said, he does observe a lot of this pain. And that's something that's in the movie that's not in the book where he's talking to his psychologist and he's like, there's so much pain and I see it and I don't know how to stop it. And and she sort of misunderstands and thinks that it's inside him but he's just seeing all this pain in the world and trying to figure out like, how do I live peacefully when I see so many adults be so troubled? And I think like that's a reality for a lot of students. You know, that wasn't necessarily the case for me because as Danny has said, I had so I had supportive family. I had at every level, parents, aunts and uncles, grandparents. I had teachers that I'm still very close with just, a plethora of supportive adults. But I can imagine how that adolescent confusion is sort of amplified when you don't have a safe space to ask questions 
and to work through your emotions by just talking. And a lot of times that can't happen through your parents. You know, I remember now, of course, with the perspective I have, I can see how wonderfully supportive my parents were. And all they would say to me was, I just can't wait till you're 25 and we can, you know, have a conversation about how silly adolescence was and how, I guess silly isn't the word, but, you know, it's just hard to have those conversations with your parents because in your head, it's like, well, you have to say these things, you know, you're my mom and, and, and you take for granted that love and that support. So you have to have at a certain point, some other adults that are there for you as a safety net. And like I said earlier, going back to Charlie, not having that, I think would be very disorienting. And he's trying to have that coming of age story, but he's just, he doesn't quite have that role model. And so that's why I think like what you said about the movie muting the adult relationships a little bit was, I don't know, a little unfortunate because I think once Sam and Patrick leave, he's almost losing that entirely, sort of that role model character. And luckily, Bill decides to stay as a teacher. So you know that Charlie's going to get that support in the future. And he says, hopefully, I can still give you books and assign you essays and stuff. But yeah, you know, if if you don't get that from other adults, it's it can be very hard, I think, to become someone who's not very affected by other people's pain. As a young person, you just take that on. I yeah. feel like that just it just sort of like seeps through you and yeah. yeah. And as a young person also, you learn to mold your emotions and deal with things the hard way a lot of the times. And which leads to my favorite scene in both the book and the movie is when they're doing truth or dare Oh boy! and Patrick yeah. <laughs> kind of gives Charlie the layup and says, I dare you to kiss <laughs> the, cutest girl in the room and we were talking about charlie's maturity in certain aspects and he he has such a respect for his friends and he's such a great listener that he knows that he can never lie to them in any way and of course he was under the influence a bit (laughs) but i bet even if he was sober he would take that question and still actually kiss oh yeah the actually kiss sam no matter if he was intoxicated or not mm-hmm. that's he is such a pure love i mean it, it is love for mm-hmm. sam and patrick and with sam it's a little bit more Romantic. romantically right but he's just <laughs> that obviously is a case where even if it's that's the truth don't do that yeah. but but charlie's just like but I just love my friends and my fr- I'm showing my friends that this is I this I, I can't lie to them and even even though it's a low point for Charlie cuz afterwards Patrick says to lay low for a while and that's also the second act break in the movie where the characters are at their lowest even though it's such a low point I I can't help but feel a little bit of joy around that because it's like oh Charlie's just so in, in touch with his respect for others but of course, he needs to learn to know when certain things are appropriate. And, you know, he, he's young and that's an example of learning the hard way. And I, that's a hard part of life that a lot of times that, that needs to happen in order for you to know going forward what's appropriate for this situation, that situation. But I like that the movie made the change of dialogue in the book after Charlie kisses Sam. It's silent. 
and then Patrick says awkward, kind of a kind of a little cliched, but Ezra Miller in the movie, an incredible performance. I mean, incredibly well casted. Uh, yeah, oh my gosh. yeah. This movie has some pretty good casting. We'll talk about Emma Watson in a second, but with incredible casting for most of the characters, and Ezra Miller is probably the shining star. Mm-hmm. He was kind of this was kind of his breakout movie. He had starred in We Need to Talk About Kevin the year before. A uh, pretty, pretty intense, scary film. But this was kind of his big break. But in the movie, he says, "Oh, that's fucked up." And it, <laughs> it, so, it was so. I mean, we burst out laughing because yeah. it's just it takes your breath away knowing what Charlie did, how severely he messed up. Mm-hmm. Even though he had wanted to break up with what was your name, Mary, Mary Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Yeah, and again, that's a situation where I think we can all relate to both. Being in a relationship where you know is going to end and also conversely being blindsided by someone who you thought you were in a great relationship with and they're like, I'm not feeling anything and like this is not working. And that shock that is intensified through adolescence, Mm -hmm. we can all relate to that. But yeah, Ezra Miller's line delivery after that moment. I mean, that's my favorite scene in the book. The thing is, I know he, he loves Sam and Patrick. But they're like, I feel like they're pretty tough on him. Like everyone's telling him, like, stop thinking and do. I mean, so he went from when Mary Elizabeth would call, leaving the phone and going downstairs, making a sandwich, you know, building a teepee and then coming back up. And and then he was acting authentically, which not the right way to go about it, Mm -hmm. but everyone just, I feel like they keep telling him, Charlie, you keep saying, but you don't do. And then he does. Mm -hmm. And then he's all by himself. So it's a pretty tough road for him to navigate. I think. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I actually had a very similar whiplash moment in eighth grade. It actually reminded me of a conversation that a girl who was, I wanted to be her friend and she was sort of in the popular group. And I, again, was, I was definitely a wallflower, I guess, looking back. And I was very uncomfortable in my body and in my clothes. And a lot of times I just wore cargo pants and sort of this three quarter length sleeve shirt. And she told me one time after hanging out, you know, after school or something, she was like, oh, you should wear something a little more revealing or a little more low cut. Like you've got such a nice body or something like that. And I didn't know what to do with that information. So the next day I wore a tank top and I ran into her on the way to school, walking into the front doors. And she said, I told you to wear something less revealing, not to look like a whore. And I didn't know what I had done. Like, it was, it was like this, it was the same emotions. Like I thought that I had done the right thing by coming to school in a tank top. And instead I got hit with this derogatory term that I didn't know, like, I didn't know why. Like, you know, it wasn't like I was wearing like, you know, I don't know, a really short skirt and gold underwear. Right. Like, you know, I was wearing like (laughs) jeans and a tank top, but the emotion with which it was sort of said and thrown at me, that threw me down a hole for probably weeks. You know, I don't remember how long that affected me because I just didn't know what I had done wrong. And I think sometimes 
not only do the wallflowers get very confused emotionally when things like that happen, I think people who know that they're sort of in the top, the upper crust of the social ladder, they also don't realize, they just, they also don't have the perspective of exactly what they're saying. And I'm sure she didn't mean it in such a terrible way, but that's it's a pretty intense thing to say to, some, yeah. to a young girl in eighth grade. And she meant so, it in the nice way of saying whore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which of course, like, you know, always inappropriate to call another female that. But yeah, I mean, she just, she kind of like lopped it at me. And instead of catching it and letting it roll off my back, it, like it just sat with me and like, that's the other really unfortunate thing. Like, I think that is really authentic, unfortunately to how a lot of older kids or status. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, they, they just don't know how to be authentic in a way. And, and the way that they shut Charlie down, like, I just, I felt that and I, Oh my gosh. Like when they don't call him and they say like, Oh, I don't think it's a good time for you to come around anymore. I was just like, yeah, that, that, You're right. That did feel a little harsh in the movie. Reading it, it seemed appropriate. But when I'm watching in the movie, just having it visualized, I'm like, oh, Charlie made a mistake, no doubt. And the relationship between him and Mary Elizabeth is over. (laughs) But it did seem like they were kind of coming down on him a little bit too harshly. Like, okay, can we be friends again? Like, yeah. Then there's yeah, the yeah. like the montage of Charlie eating alone, Charlie walking alone, Charlie on the bus alone. And then once he's, you know, steps in and kind of loses himself and fights the football guys mm-hmm. for Patrick, then he's back in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But we loved Ezra Miller, but were you a fan of the rest of the cast as a whole? Um <laughs> So I think they developed the, like, Alice, I feel like, is kind of a shadow in the movie. Um, Bob, same. Mm -hmm. I don't really enjoy Mary Elizabeth, truth be told. But they all, I feel like they all play a part in us knowing Charlie, which is, which is also, I just, I know we don't have a ton of time left, but. Oh, we can just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just want to talk about. I won't write this second, but originally I stated that I started watching Perks because someone said it was like The Breakfast Club. And really there's another movie that I felt more attached to that more lines up with it. But I loved, for me, it's Sam, Patrick, and Charlie. I thought were, like, Mm -hmm. I could have done without any of the rest of them. (laughs) Um, Yeah. But they they were phenomenal, I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The mom and dad in the movie, I mean, they don't even have big parts in the book, too, but they do have those specific scenes that stand out and mean a lot. I like Dylan McDermott as an actor, but he's not really given anything to do in the movie, really. He doesn't even have a monologue or anything. And Kate Walsh, who's the mom and great actress, too isn't either. I was shocked to not see them have more development. The movie's only an hour 44, could have been longer. I know that they filmed the scene where Charlie takes um, his sister to get 
emergency abortion. They did film that scene, but it was taken out for two reasons. According to on the commentary, it was taken out for pacing because in the story, it happens right after that scene when Charlie kisses Sam Mm -hmm. at the party. And so to have two low points at that same time, it seemed redundant in a narrative sense when you're watching Mm -hmm. a movie and also for pacing too. Stephen Chbosky said that they had to remove it for pacing. The third reason too is that they were flirting with an R rating, right? And they had to make certain cuts in order to get down to PG-13. So that's the reason why they don't uh, chain smoke in the movie either. Oh, it's because in the book, you know... I didn't even remember that they chain smoke. Yeah. Huh. And it's, they had to cut that down to almost no smoking on screen because in P- you can't show a lot of smoking in a, a PG-13 movie, whether it be cannabis or... Or just regular cigarettes. I, you can't show that. So or vaping. Is that? Uh, I'm don't know about vaping yet. I yeah, I didn't did not do that research. But hopefully, vaping would be less yeah. Because I, I don't want to normalize that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the movie does suffer though a little bit, in my opinion, from not having that scene with Charlie and his sister in the movie. She's given a name, Candace, because. Because after that, that's a scene where they come together and really become close. And in the movie, it's just out of nowhere they kind of become close. Of course, Charlie's dealing with some depression, and you can kind of assume that she comes close during that. But there, there isn't really a journey. And again, books are afforded that luxury of going on these journeys off story and then coming back to the main story. But Well, he has a little bit of a moment with his brother that I thought was really touching. Yeah. Uh, I really liked that it was someone who had gone to college and come back and had the perspective to ask Charlie, how are you doing? Because he was the only person that sort of knew Charlie's clinical history with depression. And I really liked that they had that little moment at the dinner table. He doesn't have it with Candace, but right. but he does have a little moment with the, his brother that I thought was nice. And but, that's something that's not in the book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I liked that. But I think the performance I had a little bit of an issue with purely because just because of her accent was Emma Watson. I love her as an actress. I absolutely adore her. But there were a lot of lines where Danny and I just kind of were giggling because she <laughs> There are full words where she just straight up <laughs> slips into British accent. Yeah. We cackled when <laughs> the line is the line was, is this the first time you've ever been high, Charlie? And in the movie, she goes, is this the first time you've ever been high, Charlie? And, and you're like, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> like, what was, did, did, what? And yeah, there are just words where, again, a great actress. Can't. Yeah, she kept on saying, can't, Charlie. Yeah. You can't do that, Charlie. And you were like, yikes, this is not great. Everything on the emotional side, the actual nuanced facial expressions, Mm -hmm. well done. But she does not have the American accent down. Mm What do you think of of her performance in the movie? I I just think it's funny the things you both pick up on. Because like when you say that, I'm like, yep, she absolutely does that. Um, But... 
I don't think I read books or watch movies the way the both of you do because you have a different lens. And for me, my lens with this subject matter is adolescence. So I was mm-hmm. I was looking at, at adolescence as a character throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think we just each have a different perspective, but absolutely, <laughs> like now that you say Charlie, <laughs> I'm like, you're supposed uh, to be from Pennsylvania. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There were some moments like Danny and I were laughing, and there were a couple times we actually rewound it, and it's like, oh, maybe there, (laughs) yeah, there should have been another take, maybe. And oh, another line, yeah, Yeah. Charlie. Another line, which to be honest seemed a little corny in the movie, but not in the book, was towards the end when Sam is explaining that. You know, she doesn't want to be someone's crush. Mm. She wants to act. She wants someone to actually get to know her and to not hold her to such high esteem. But she, she's just like, I don't want to be someone's crush, Charlie. <laughs> full-on sentence where you just said i don't yeah. you didn't even try there but yeah uh well actually just going back to changes from the book to the movie that i really appreciated so in the book charlie says that he's keeping things very general because he doesn't want the person he's writing letters to to figure out who he is and I didn't mention this in the beginning, but the book has the epistolary structure, like we talked about in the Where'd You Go, Bernadette episode. Watch your language, please. So, right, right. <laughs> so, the book is a collection of letters that Charlie has written to this unknown person, but we can assume is maybe an older sibling of a high school student that he's attending school with, but it doesn't really matter in the end. But I actually really think it was smart for, for Stephen Chbosky to go back and put it into more of a memory lens for Charlie, like Danny talked about earlier. And the reason I really love that he did that for the adaptation is for a similar reason that I really love Call Me By Your Name. Allison, have you watched that? No. I listened to that podcast. Felt like it would have would have crushed me a little bit so i did yeah, yeah. the movie will <laughs> will wreck you the book and the movie are incredible yeah. yeah well for very similar reasons it's a very similar book and movie in themes because it's basically a coming of age story but he the main character is gay or possibly bi and it's interesting because the way we talk about it is very similar to the adaptation of this book because it really grounds you in the moments that are, you know, you're passionate or you're depressed. You know, you have this intense mindset. And something that I actually missed in the book is because he was focusing on making everything so generic, it kind of felt like it could have taken place in any time period, which I suppose in some way could be a strength, but because it's supposed to be so intensely Charlie's experience, I actually liked how, for example, in the movie, the soundtrack played such a big role. Like in the book, I think he mentions like, oh, I'm not gonna say the name of the song that made me feel infinite because I don't want you to, you know, look it up or whatever, but, like when I think about this movie, I hear the soundtrack. Like I hear David Bowie singing Heroes and I hear the Midnight Dixie Runners. Is it 
coming out. Dixie, yeah. Dixie, right. yeah, yeah. Come on Dixie Midnight Runners. Yes, ah. exactly. So like I hear those things come through. And when I think of Charlie getting so excited and I, and I hear the Rocky Horror Picture soundtrack and it just, it doesn't make me feel alienated from Charlie's experiences in high school. It makes me go back to those songs that really ground me in my high school experience. So I like how the movie made it specific rather than the book, which kept it very generic. I really, really liked that. I think that was the right call. And maybe something that Stephen Chbosky said, like, oh, I, I, I think maybe that was a mistake that I made in the book and I could make better and sort of drive my theme home about being in that mental space by making it more specific in the movie. Yeah, although, Allison, how crazy was it how they didn't know the song Heroes by David Bowie? Right. They're like, oh, the tunnel song. I don't know what it could be. Yeah. It's funny. It's funny that like what you're saying, because I grew up in the era of soundtracks were hugely important to movies. Like Mm. if you were going to buy an app, like there were so many times you would buy an album, a tape, a, a CD, because there were so many great artists in one for a soundtrack. And yeah. um, I know you, Danny, you talk about the music in, in films quite a lot, but you're exactly right, Laura. Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many soundtracks I had. Mm-hmm. And then that becomes the soundtrack of ninth grade, the soundtrack of 10th yeah. grade. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I feel that even about the summers that I worked in college at the summer camp, because it's, you know, it's not in the same place every year. You sort of get assigned to a place on the West Coast. And so, and you're not always, you don't always have great access to internet. So basically what's on the radio is your soundtrack for the summer. And so stuff that came out very specifically in 2014 is like 2014, I go back to my summer staff. I go back to the campers that I had that year. I go back to the mindset I was in, in the summer of 2014. And it just, it just gets lodged in your head. And so I think that's something that really grounded me with the movie. Exactly to your point. It's just like, you just remember those things because I think it's visceral, you know, it's not, it's not something that you can really explain. It's just something you were so intensely focused in that moment that it just, sort of gets recorded on your emotional, I don't know, tape recorder. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, because I've, you know, I've listened to your podcast, which everyone should subscribe. It's phenomenal. Um, But, but listening, like, so I, I think about the movies and books in different ways now than maybe I would if I were just watching or reading but I, I thought it was very interesting. So it, it's all told through a male perspective, right? But I, ne- I never felt alienated by it. I never felt, I just felt it was all very fluid and it was just more about the age than, I just, I, I mean, maybe the whole movie is, and maybe that's part of what Rocky Horror Picture Show is, the fluidity of gender and sexuality and perspective and... um because Danny's the only one out of three of us that would have the male perspective of adolescence and high school. Um, and I have an 18 year old son, but I still, as much as I know him, I don't know what it's like inside there, you know? So Mm -hmm. I just thought it was a a really 
beautiful way that the author made it accessible to, to everyone. I totally agree. That is such a good observation that I didn't even think about. Like, I think he does such a good job of making it such an emotional flurry, you know, of emotions, but also hormones and memory and all, just all this stuff going on. Like he does a really good job of gender neutralizing it. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that, but I never once thought like, oh, that's not something maybe that I've ever thought about or experienced because I'm female and Charlie's male. Yeah. And a lot of times being in touch with your emotions and, and reading sometimes, I think in high school, boys can get made fun of for. And I think that the reason why Sam and Patrick are such great friends is that they accept Charlie as who he is completely. And, and they never make that th- those type of comments that I think are, are stereotypes of coming of age movies are of like sometimes boys and men feel like they need to be stoic and shut off and be into sports and, and not show their more vulnerable emotional side. Now, Charlie is someone who is so open and so emotional and so open to carpe diem life. You mentioned Dead Poets Society earlier that he sometimes gets himself into trouble. And part of participating in life also means reconciling with these intense emotions. And of course, the big twist of both the book and movie is that Charlie comes to reconcile with the fact that he was molested and th- that came out of him just looking back in his past. And that, that was a twist where I completely did not see coming. I mean, that just completely knocked me on, on my butt and it took a while to finish that last mm-hmm. section. And I think it was beautifully realized in the movie, you know, very tasteful, obviously, mm-hmm. but the way it was edited too, of him rushing into his house and having these bursts of images of Aunt Helen and the accident and of his fight defending Patrick, I think was very well realized, very well tense of his sister realizing what was going on, realizing that Charlie was in danger. Mm-hmm. I, an effective piece of, of filmmaking. And I'm not going to take credit for connecting this movie to Dead Poet Society. That That's all you, Allison. But I think that's that's a good message because th- that's not to say that you shouldn't you know seize the day. But the beautiful thing about life is that when you participate in it, you get you get everything. You get the good and the bad. And of course, there is trauma and there is some serious stuff that you'll have to deal with. But it all comes into molding you, and you can always learn from it. I think what's the term? Learn from the past to to succeed in the future i think is the term so yeah that's kind of the bittersweet message of both dead poet society and wallflowers that you will be more fulfilled if you completely be vulnerable and participate but there will be hardships and and hard times and it's important not to block yourself out and to make yourself a shell because of these hard times you should embrace these hard times just like you do the good times right and like just to the dead poet society thing when when i was thinking of 
one of my students said, and these are just going to be my wrap up closing thoughts because I, I would love to just sit back and listen to you two finish up. But um, when the students said breakfast club, I'm like, it just it doesn't resonate as a similar feeling at all. Um, the only thing I did realize is that David Bowie songs have uh, starring roles in both changes like these children that you spit on mm-hmm. as they try to that's from breakfast club and then heroes so when i really s- i sat down and thought of like what movie does this tie me to when we talked about this in our pre-show um mm-hmm. was because <laughs> i'm famous um was dead <laughs> <laughs> was your when, pre-show interview <laughs> when I was in the green room? Um, to be honest, it was a test to see if you were test one were worthy test to come on, yeah. and you just barely passed, but you but you got it. You're like, actually, we haven't been recording this at all, but um. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so after watching the perks of being a wallflower, I watched Dead Poet Society, and then because those feelings feel far more connected uh, that I got from both of those. And then knowing that Dead Poet Society came out in 1989, the year I graduated high school, and then Perks came out in 2012, the year you both graduated high school. But Dead Poet Society was set in 1959. But those themes of like parental expectations and, you know, someone showing you the light, but then it can't be realized like when Neil is in the play and he just comes Mm -hmm. full of life but then his father is gonna cut that when he sees how John Keating um Robin Williams's character shows him this whole other world and tells him part of this poem of you know don't come to the end of your life and realize you haven't lived it And so like for Neil to have felt the sun and then know that he couldn't stay there. um, Mm. And then for Charlie to have made these great friendships and then they withdraw from him and both have really powerful. I mean, Neil kills himself and Mm -hmm. Charlie you just know is hospitalized and you know, his friend committed, Michael committed suicide in the beginning. I thought they handled those themes extremely tastefully and, and in such a way that if a kid was watching it, they could access it without like, you just see smoke in the study when Neil kills himself. Mm -hmm. You just kind of see Charlie going through that montage and then he's in the hospital. Um, and then I think of my son's adolescence and he's, he's got to reflect on, I mean, he hasn't watched it, but like that, that generation has 13 reasons why, where they're showing, Mm. they're showing graphic scenes. And, um, so it's almost too, you can't access whatever message they're trying to give because it's, it's way too, it's way too hard. So like my concern is I I look at these movies, like whether it's dead poet society or perks and you can access it and you can process and you can have these conversations. And I know that 13 reasons they try to do that, but I'm, I'm just hopeful that we're not going into so much darkness. Like you can't lead someone to the deep end and then leave them there, you know? And I, I feel like it's, it's irresponsible. I feel like, these, the Dead Poet Society, the perks, it allows you to go back and really process without 
pushing you into something that you can't handle. That's a really good observation. I had not thought about 13 Reasons Why because I haven't seen it. It obviously came out a couple of years ago, the first season anyway. And I would probably deem that too intense for me because I've read about it. I know about it. And I think you're totally right. You know, when you bring especially young people to that place and they can empathize with characters like that, I would never want to give them the impression that there's not another side of that. And especially because of the mindset that I went through, probably from eighth grade to maybe middle of sophomore year, maybe even end of sophomore year of college, you know, those were really dark times. And I really latched on to adult role models, like I talked about earlier, because I think that they did give me those glimmers of this gets better and there's another side of this. And even though I know you're feeling these emotions now, they're overcomable. And, you know, I I just, I really, really appreciate what you said about, you know, you have to let adult young adults know that these things are okay and these emotions are okay especially if you've gone through something like charlie or through something like gender identity crisis or sexual identity questioning and stuff like that like especially with with young adults who go through those things and don't have supportive adults like you just you have to show them the other side like what if they don't have adults in their life who are showing the other side of that and if, if they don't see that in art, which is something that I really value, then, you know, where are they getting that other side from? And, and it's just like, it's dangerous. And I would say, yeah, like irresponsible not to show the other side of that. Yeah. That got really dark. Yeah. <laughs> Those are my kind of closing thoughts. Like, I, I think that this movie ends on an up note. And if you have the perspective, sometimes I think you'll see that maybe Charlie has a little bit more to go before he becomes the beautiful, sensitive adult male that he is. But yeah, I think it also, it ends on an up note just to show that there are these beautiful bright spots and and eventually that can become most of your life rather than 10% of your life, you know, as a kid. Yeah. Ends with a good two scene appearance by Joan Cusack, who showed up oh, for a fun. showed up to get yeah. her paycheck and, <laughs> and was out in a day. No, she really did a good no. job. I, I love her performance. I mean, yeah. I, her cameo, but she, she's, third, <laughs> she's third build and has maybe four minutes of screen time. Oh, that's so um, funny. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, she's the biggest star next to Emma Watson, but. Yeah, I keep on coming back to how privileged my high school experience was. And I had been making these funny videos for a while in high school, but that had always seemed like something I could never actually pursue as a career. I met Mrs. Kelly. The next day, she had watched all of them (laughs) and was telling me how funny they were. And just to have another adult that not my family, not friends of my family, no real incentive to tell me this information other than to make me feel appreciated and seen for her to say that really was such a eye-opening moment and I'll I'll remember that day and then all throughout high school I just from that conversation I started oh I should start making more videos for 
classes. And I was known as the guy who would make a video for an assignment if I could. I'd always ask, oh, can I film a movie about this? And some people would roll their eyes, knowing that it was an easier path than actually writing something down, <laughs> um, but, which is true. But uh, it might require more time, but it's actually easier than formulating your thoughts on paper. Well, for you. Maybe. Yeah, for me. And th this is where this is we've arrived back at the point, which is people. It doesn't have to be teachers, but role models like Mrs. Kelly are just so special and so important for students at this age in high school. And that's why I think the book, the relationship between him and Bill, I think that was what was making me real emotional towards the end of that. Just thinking about that, thinking about my experience with you, Allison, and other teachers, and again, my family. And I was set up to have a great high school experience, but you really showed me the path to come into my own, to know that it is important to make entertainment for others, that you legitimized my dream to want to be in entertainment. And I all I took advantage of all the resources and role models I had in high school in order to make more videos and to, I guess, show my case to be you, that I could be an adequate film student. Anyways, what the heck was I saying? Okay, so it was perfect. We gave you the option to pick the book. But honestly, if I had seen this movie before we decided to have you on as a guest, I would have definitely picked this one because of this connection. It is so appropriate that mutual appreciation and love between a mentor and a mentee. And I just can't tell you how great I love the position I am in in LA. You pushed me to move to LA. I met the love of my life sitting right next to me, an LA native. We're getting married. <laughs> and yeah. That's the, um, that's the best part. I think like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I just, I don't know how, you know, but I just knew. And uh, my, I made my son watch some of your videos at the time and still like he and oh. I will both say, number thrice like we still <laughs> we still say that but yeah like i said you know without blubbering um just that you found someone that and you had some really great friends in high school as well like i i felt like you had friends that appreciated you um but like that you found someone who gets all these nuanced jokes and <laughs> just celebrates you and in turn i see your celebration of her so there's really nothing better that you could ever hope yeah. for 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 someone you already saw thought was great in the first five seconds of meeting them oh yeah Allison. that was that was so true and and yeah i should say to my friends a great thank you for putting up with me directing all those videos i know it can be a diva sometime but Again, yeah, I was so I'm so blessed to have the uh, experience that oh, I was. Oh, and actually, I should give a shout out to all of the friends that supported me through high school because not only was it teachers, it was also my best friend Allison, my best friend Christina, mm -hmm. and 
Rachel and all the people who made me feel like I could come out of my shell and supported yeah. me, you know, who are peers, not just all the teachers that I absolutely adore and still text and Facebook. And, you yeah. know, I forget how rare that is sometimes, you know, that students still reach out to high school teachers. And I feel like I'm very close to some of those. So I also am very grateful. I don't know if any of them listen to this podcast, but yeah, it's, it's just a, it's a special thing to continue to be friends with those mentors. As long as I, it happens after high school, you know, right, like yeah, right. be the role model, <laughs> be the cheerleader. Don't right. swear till they graduate. Yeah. <laughs> Very important. Don't have a drink and with, a, with an advisor or a teacher until you're graduated. Yes. <laughs> and over the age of 21. And over the age of 21. <laughs> especially for you. Uh, you are three hours ahead. So we need to wrap this up. Thank you so much to all of our listeners for listening to every episode. Yes. And I hope you come back for the next one. Yeah. Pick something for season four. I mean, we're at the beginning of season three, but start thinking now Yeah. because you're going to be a recurring guest every <laughs> other episode. Yeah, only if you want to. <laughs> We we just slowly we slowly make her just a third regular host. It's just bring it on. Yeah, yeah, it could I happen. I can do that. No problem. Except sci-fi and period romances. So you two are on your All own right. for those. Oh, that's, that's like fine. half our half our, our repertoire. I'll be there for like once a season, which is like probably as much as anyone should want to hear me. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for being a guest host on this episode. You really brought an extra level of understanding yeah. and love for this age group. So I really appreciate that you came on. And next week, what are we covering? Well, whichever episode we edit first, we'll see. That we have a couple true. lined up and yeah, we're not going to. it's a surprise this week. Yeah. It's, oh, a surpri planned surprise. Yeah. Planned surprise. Yeah. And thanks to all the teachers and guidance counselors and mentors for students of this age, mm -hmm. too, as well. All right. Signing off. <laughs> all right. Oh, we still don't have. Oh, yeah. The, the ending. Uh, we have a new. I'm testing out a new ending. You ready for this? Mm -hmm. All right. <clears throat> Are you ready to rumble? Yep.